0: welcome to another episode of that podcast i'm dave and i'm bo and we literally just finished recording a special edition Rogue one episode so um you should listen to that if you're into star wars and you've seen it but this will <laughs> be star wars free i think other than i think it'll be okay for us to say that uh i really enjoyed it thought it was amazing mm-hmm. you did yeah. too right
1: yeah yeah i thought it was awesome yeah cool
0: so if you're into that kind of thing or after you've seen the movie go back and listen to that episode <laughs> So, what have you been up to, man?
1: Uh, so, what have I been up to? I've been d- doing a lot of stuff at Sensio Labs, trying to figure out, you know, what kind of stuff I'm supposed to be working on. Um, we're still um, f- kind of feeling out Sensio Cloud a bit, so we've been uh, discussing some of that a little bit. That was something that was announced at Symphony Berlin. Um, did you see much about that? See much about that on the internet?
0: I I, I saw briefly. Um, but it was only announced, right? There's nothing I can look at and play with yet.
1: Right. Yeah, you, you, can, you can look at the website. sensio.cloud yeah. is up. Um, but yeah, there's it's something that's not actually going to be ready until sometime in the first quarter of 2017. Um, I think the, the hope was to launch February 1st, but I'm not sure if that's actually... I don't, I don't know if that's actually been an announced date, and it sounds like that's going to be kind of difficult to, to hit. Um, but... We're definitely hoping to get that out sometime early. And it looks like it's gonna be pretty cool. It's a, basically a development tool that that allows you to write the code, manage the infrastructure all within the repository and deploy it so that Symfony developers have something uh, more closer to some of the other platform as a service um, systems out there that are more specific to different types of languages or whatever. So it looks yeah. like it's gonna be a lot of fun. Um, and I'll probably have to do a lot with that. Uh, probably similar things to what I've been doing with Blackfire, but I'll be doing it with Sensio Cloud instead, or in addition to Blackfire.
0: Yeah.
1: So that's kind of cool. It's it's hard though when people release things like tidbits like that, and then everyone wants to know all about it, and you yeah, don't really and you don't show yourself. Yep. <laughs> but you know, so it's, it's still pretty cool.
0: So, do you think it, is it going to set itself apart in its just like its pure symphoniness? Uh, compared to the other offerings is that what is that what the aim is supposed to be
1: i think that yeah i think that's what the aim is supposed to be that socio cloud is going to be focused on on um symphony and setting it up for you know somewhat standard symphony installs or whatever um so that there's certain things that are specific to the way that the symphony ecosystem works that that that'll work um Work with. And
0: there'll be, I'm sure there'll be support offerings as well from Sensio, so that'll be handy.
1: Yep, yep. That's one of the big selling points is are the services around it because if, um, the Sensio Cloud um, packages will come with things like Blackfire and Insight and all of these. Uh, There's a couple of security checkers, uh, Sensio Lab Security Checker, um, which are going to be able to help people, you know, not deploy code that's, uh, you know, unsafe. For example, yeah. So it's it's all it's all going to be tied in, and then it'll be backed by Sensio Labs. So. You know, if there's like support or something like that, um, the the Sensio Labs team will be able to jump in and help. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, yeah. So it'll p- be pretty neat. Uh, the other thing that got announced was uh, Symphony Flex. Um, did you see? It? Did you see anything on that?
0: No, I saw the announcement, but didn't see anything. I didn't see anything. Yeah, any. there's, I did there's a quick no webpages. Search What's and that? In the I did a quick Google search to see if there was anything I could see and read, but mm-hmm. um. I just got a load of stuff about Flex and Symphony, ah, like, yeah. As in Adobe, is it Adobe? Yeah, but Flex? Be, yeah Adobe but, Flex. Uh,
1: yeah, um, so yeah, that one's even more um, forward-looking. Um, so Fabian, I think, has been working on that on his own, or with a very small number of other people uh, working on it as well. So he had enough that he could actually show it and demo it um, at SymphonyCon, but there's some additional work that's going on there. And I'm, I'm pretty excited about Flex because it's going to be. I think it's going to like be interesting to me personally, um, because it's, it's goal is to, um, enable people to build symphony applications from the ground up without the extra cruft. Um, because you know, if you, there's really only a handful of ways that you can start a new symphony app. You either do it completely from scratch on your own, where you do everything, um, or you use something like standard edition or like one of the rest editions, um, but then if it's not completely set up the way you want, you have to start ripping stuff out. And ripping stuff out of a Symphony full stack application can be kind of painful sometimes. You have to remove the configuration correctly, have to remove the the bundle registration and all this other nonsense. Um so Symf- Symfony Symphony Flex is designed not as a an addition. It's not going to be a, a Symphony addition. It's going to be uh, closer to something like um at the basic, most basic, like uh, the, the Laravel installer, the Lumen installer, where you can create a new service um, and it will let you add bundles, add all these other things. It'll it'll do more for you. Um, mm. So that if you want to, say, add Doctrine bundle, it'll actually add the, the configuration stubs for you. Um, then if you remove the Doctrine bundle using Symphony Flex, it'll remove those configuration things for you. Um, so it's, do, its Its goal is to do a lot more. Um, and it's also supposed, uh, supposed to have some sort of support for bypassing composer but still using composer if you will um because one of the the slowest parts of modern php development right now is is installing stuff um if you don't already have uh, composer files cached you know some of the stuff that comes off of composer and then actually i mean that's actually taking a lot of time for some people And if you have people on like dial-up or whatever you know these back these these requests keep coming and coming and coming and Next thing you know, it's been 10 minutes since you did Composer install or Composer update. Um, So so, at least some parts of these packages are going to come down as blobs so that if you do um, a very specific Symfony uh, Flex install, it's actually going to download like a a tar file for you so Mm -hmm. that you're just doing one request of something very small that then expands and you don't have to go through the Composer stuff just to get started. Um, You don't have to start using Composer until later, really, um, to actually get the content. So it sounds like it's going to be very um uh not not ag- I want not aggressive but very uh what's the word trying very hard to to kind of jump very far into something as opposed to just like an incremental step like you know tweaking the uh symphony installer to install the demo <laughs> it's, it's it's much more than that it's actually uh, doing a lot of really cool things so i think these two things together so, uh, symphony flex and centseo cloud next year are going to be pretty awesome um, yeah. it's, it's going to be, be it's gonna make it easier for me myself to consider using Symphony for smaller applications again, because you can pick and choose the components. It gets closer to the Silex world, if you will, uh mm. being able to build whatever you want, but it, it you know, if Flex does its job correctly, it'll actually be a nice process to actually work around. So uh but there's not a whole lot of documentation out there about it right now.
0: Yeah. I oh, will watch this space. It yeah, sounds yeah. promising, it's nice to see innovation as well, so
1: yeah. yeah, so I I've been been pretty excited about that stuff lately. It's good. Um so podcast news, uh we we were talking about um uh, conferences on the last episode and mm. conferences and the difference of the sizes between US conferences and East Coast conferences and um Scoop was listening. Like I haven't actually published our podcast yet. Uh, I haven't sent the tweet out, uh, but people are already uh, getting to, to listen to, I think it was episode 34. Um, and he said that ZenCon is usually pretty big. Uh, he didn't really give numbers necessarily, uh, but I was talking with Cal Evans about it today and Cal's, Cal's estimating ZenCon for the last two years was around the 500 range. So 500 people or so, which is you know a good size for US conferences for sure. Yeah. Um, but it's still less than the 1200 that SymphonyCon had or the you know 8 or 900 that Forum PHP had yeah. um and he said that he used to be more actively involved in helping with Zencon and um he was saying that like 800 was like an okay number for them like if they got 800 that was kind of on the low end um so over the years it sounds like the US conferences have been kind of going down in numbers um mm. and you know we were talking about it today on uh the PHP Uh, The Elephant (laughs) podcast thing um, that, you know, a lot of kind of what we were talking about last time as well. All of these little regional conferences have have sprung up all around the U.S. So people are going to those. So they're not as likely to go to the one or two times a year PHP Tech and ZenCon sort of thing. Those conferences are getting smaller as these other ones start to kind of level out the playing field, if you will. But anyway, so that was something that, that came up as a discussion from our, our last episode. So I wanted to mention that. So thanks for, for chiming in, Scoop. Um,
0: Just on the last episode, who was it who, who asked about the audio levels before? Someone oh. mentioned it, wasn't it? Hopefully the last episode was a bit better. Uh, mm-hmm. I did a bit more compression once we uh, rendered our tracks together, so... I can't remember who that was, but we should look it up and then uh, like, we should ask them, reach out and ask them in case they've listened and see what they thought.
1: Yeah, hope, hopefully it sounded better. The the listening that I did on, on it seemed okay, or seemed a lot better than it had been before. But yep. I, I didn't have my headphones on when I was doing it, so I know that you know the, the problems that I have with podcasts are either in my headphones or if I'm like driving in my car, where it's very obvious if one person is higher than the other because it's too loud, <laughs> or yeah. or, too, or you can't hear them. So. Uh, but yeah, def- uh, I I I think that would be good to double check with that person, and see how they thought it went.
0: So, um, I wanted to bring up uh, this cool article I read. Uh, I read it the other day. Um, it's actually it's in three parts at the minute. Um, so I was just going to talk about the first part, and it it kind of resonated with me. Um, it's a guy, of a chap called Clifford Orovec, and he runs a startup called Tambu, Tamboo, T-A-M-B-O-O. And it's um, it's like a tracking, um, like a JavaScript tracking sort of library. Mm-hmm. But it's tracking everything they do on the screen, you know, like one of those. So you, you literally, right. you can replay like the mouse movements and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I think anyway, I haven't actually looked at the splash page. But um, his, his article was called Epic Guide to Bootstrapping a SaaS, as in software as a service, Startup from Scratch by Yourself, Part One. And I, I really enjoyed it because it, it cut through a lot of the BS um, sort of marketing stuff. And it, it didn't, it didn't. Um, I'll give you a quote now. He was t- after talking about people who talk about things like just build an amazing product and people will come mm-hmm. or they say, you know, build your audience and then you can market it to them and all this kind of thing. Um and he, this this is a quote, he said, the stone-cold truth of the matter is most of the people pandering this advice are only doing so to build up their guru status.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And that might be a little harsh of some people, but I do get that impression a lot of the time. You know, people are selling you this advice so that they can sell you something rather mm-hmm. than just because. I know a lot of people do, but... Mm-hmm. you know. Um, And basically, that's so he starts the article with sort of telling you about it's not that easy to just build up your mailing list and then send them an email or send them a series of emails and so on. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then he goes on to sort of like dispel a few other myths. Like um, he talks about the quality of the software that you're going to be writing. He basically says if you like programming, uh, creating a a startup like this is not going to be fun for you. the program is the least part of everything. Mm -hmm. Um, And one of the things he said is if you try to build your SaaS app like you build enterprise software, you will most likely fail. He advocates it being as dirty and rubbish as possible Mm -hmm. while still providing the value. He said the product's got to be good, but the code can be terrible. Mm -hmm. And that was kind of cool. And then he goes on uh, to talk about Sort of uh, distilling your idea and your your messaging and, and stuff like that. It's a really good read. Uh, I enjoyed it. I've read the first part and the second part now, and I'm sort of halfway through the third part. But uh, I'll post a link in the notes because it was just just really good. Cool. Anyway, I think his writing style resonated with me. Mm-hmm. Uh, we mentioned before how I, some of the chipping six emails sort of grated on me because I just mm-hmm. didn't like the rhetoric. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this. This didn't. It was it was ranty, mm-hmm. but I kind of liked it. If that yeah. makes sense,
1: mm-hmm. yeah, it makes sense. I don't. I don't know if we talked about the your 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 feelings on Amy Hoy's writing style um, on the podcast before, but I, I know you know. and I.
0: Yeah, I mean, I just I, I, we. So maybe we talked offline, but yeah, basically, just the, the way the I, I'm I'm saying rhetor- rhetoric or rhetoric, and mm-hmm. I don't know if that's a word, but it's kind of like the. The drama hmm. in the hmm. writing it just mm-hmm. doesn't sit well with me and i find i switch off uh, or start skim reading it mm-hmm. waiting to get to the good part as in the part that's going to be actionable for me or yeah. the part that's going to make something click and make me understand something mm-hmm. um and you know I, the thing is it's probably that thing where you know she she's very good at what she does and mm-hmm. Her writing style probably works for 98% of people. So she's probably actually nailing it. It's just <laughs> I'm unfortunately the one person that it isn't yeah. quite ringing the bell with. So uh, mm-hmm. so yeah, but or whereas something like this one did particularly, mm-hmm. you know... it. Maybe I'm just grumpy, I don't
1: know. <laughs> well, I, I think that makes sense. I think that certain people definitely react differently to different styles and her style like i i don't exactly know how to describe what you're saying either but i know what you're saying after having read several of her courses that it's very very rough very edgy very angry almost Mm. (laughs) um like angry at everything or angry at me i can't tell but it makes me uncomfortable (laughs) yeah
0: yeah. yeah. I'd really I mean I think you'd really enjoy this article anyway, mm-hmm. so you should go and read it definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, cool. and it actually got me up and maybe do something. Mm-hmm. Um which it doesn't often happen, but uh, mm-hmm. but I did I, I wrote a landing page today for the that, the project I was going to do for shipping 6. Oh okay. Um just because it took me about an hour uh, mm-hmm. and I was trying to sort of do a few of the things that he'd mentioned in this article. Um uh, mm-hmm so do you know to practice what i was reading if you like Uh, and so yeah so that was really cool just on that on the same subject uh oh go on what were you gonna say
1: no i was uh i can't remember now okay (laughs) Uh, sorry yeah no it's all right um i then i didn't want to wreck your train of thought so that my mine's gone so there you go
0: (laughs) well um i was gonna mention uh indiehackers.com have you read any any of the articles on there no no it is awesome man um I don't want to kill your evening, mm-hmm. but go there tonight. Pick one article, and, and I say just pick one because otherwise you will spend all night reading mm-hmm. the interviews. <laughs> but basically, it's a, it's a, I mean, it's it's branching out a little bit now. But it's a website where they interview indie hackers, so people who are sort of independent uh, programmers and or product developers and everything. Uh, and and it all quite um open about the numbers and things like that. I mean that's basically what the homepage is. The homepage is a big list of logos, the names of the service, who made it, uh like short tagline and their revenue per month. Like mm-hmm. I'm just looking at these. So um and the the top three are Crazy Lister, which was which is an ebay listing tool, fifty K a month. And then there's something smaller, it's called Page Proofer uh which I imagine is some sort of Proofreading type service that's one k a month. Then it's one called Insta Painting. It's photo to painting service, thirty two k a month. Um, and all of these are like fairly detailed interviews, and they're all uh, or at least started out as very small companies or side projects. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, you should go check it out. I've I've really enjoyed reading the uh, the interviews on there. Hmm. Cool. Yeah. Nice. So, yeah, yeah, I'll have to
1: check that out. I'm looking at it right now. Um so I think the thing that I that I was thinking about earlier was when when you were talking about it getting you off to actually start working on something. It's something that I've been struggling with lately is I I I have I'm not for a lack of ideas. I think I mentioned that last time as well and the problem is that any any of the things that I have that I want to do I are going to be considerable work. Mm-hmm. And if if you only have an hour or two A night that you want that you can put into it, it's really daunting to consider work like firing up something that has nothing yet. So, I think that was one of the things that intrigued me about Ship in Six was that it was kind of about fighting that. And that I think that's why I was drawn to it, even though the style was kind of off. Uh, So, I find it interesting that after reading this other article, it inspired you to actually go and start trying to do something, which is pretty awesome.
0: Mm. Well, I mean. I am. I skipped a part of the article as well because mm-hmm. in terms of validating my idea I don't really need to validate it mm-hmm. I've, I need to validate my idea no I don't need to validate my idea because there are other companies doing it already mm-hmm. and I'll just be another competitor to them
1: mm-hmm.
0: some of my sort of marketing ideas about who I might market to um, do need validating mm-hmm. but either way like I'm still going to build it even if I can't market to that people. Like I'm thinking of like the products I'm going to build I'm going to build it anyway and it'll be applicable to that market that I know exists already. Mm-hmm. But I'm thinking, wondering if I can just make a few unique parts that'll make it more applicable to this certain market. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I don't know whether to bother trying to validate that yet or not. Mm-hmm. I think my gut feeling is build the product that'll serve the existing market and just go in there because I've I've built I've basically I already have the bulk of this software written mm-hmm. I've been using it for years I just need to make a front end for it for other people to use it mm-hmm. if that makes sense yeah that makes sense and charge them for it mm-hmm. um so I'm skipping that bit first part of his article but other than that like you know the next part was talk about your messaging mm-hmm. and getting a landing page up and he's like it's really cool because it's like the landing page—it's not going to have any icons. No icons. No screenshots. No—he says, get a decent, get your message across mm-hmm. in your sign-up form, and make sure you're tracking where your sign-ups come from. Other than mm-hmm. that, I mean, make it look good, but don't yeah. make it don't look amazing. It. Yeah. yeah. Um. So yeah. So cool. and because he, because of the way he said that, it made it quite easy for me to put mm-hmm. something up. So. So yeah.
1: So uh, one of the, the questions that I've uh, pushed out through that podcast Twitter uh, was just a simple question. is why, why aren't you working on your side projects? Um, you know, and I, I put that out there, you know, cause I figured there's other people like me and, and you up until you just started doing this where you had ideas and you weren't working on them. Um, and then, you know, a lot, a lot of the stuff that, that came through there was pretty much what I'd expect, you know, other priorities, um, family. um, when you're done with work, you don't want to be doing anything else on the computer. I mean, a lot of it was like pretty, pr- pretty general stuff that I would have expected. Uh, but someone jumped on, um, um, Aaron, um, Aaron knows is, is her Twitter handle I camera, but what, what her initial response was, but basically, um, uh, the person who responded to it said, well, isn't the point of doing the products to are doing side projects to eventually make money. Um, and I realized that that was kind of implied in my initial tweet. Um, but I also know that there, yeah, there are a lot of people who have like really rich and fulfilling lives that don't do so- software for, you know, a lifestyle, <laughs> for example. Mm. Um, and it seemed like that's what, what she was getting at was, you know, I, I, I have to make money. So I do stuff. And then when I'm not making money, I'm doing other stuff and it's, it should be okay. Uh, was kind of her point. Um, Anyway, I just thought it was uh, interesting to watch that conversation happen because I've realized that the the question itself sort of implied something that, like, if you didn't understand where my mindset was, um, it it, it might have looked like I was saying that everybody should have side projects. But I, I don't necessarily think that's true.
0: No, um, I don't, and definitely yeah. not the the revenue seeking mm-hmm. ones. I mean, everyone does it. We know lots of people do open source when, mm-hmm. and and there are a lot of people who. Don't get me wrong. There are people who do that for financial gain because it can have a serious impact on your career. Mm-hmm. People just do it for fun. Yeah. Um, I I help out with a charity, but I'm, I'm so far behind on the stuff I help out with. Mm-hmm. But like no one seems to be that bothered because it's all volunteer anyway. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but you know there are other people who do it far more than I do, and that's their side project, if you like. And mm-hmm. they don't get anything out of it apart from uh, maybe they get some recognition, I suppose. But other than mm-hmm. that's you know it's the, the feel fuzzy good fuzzy yeah. feel good side of things. Um, so yeah. yeah.
1: So I've, I've been having a lot of fun with some of that stuff on Twitter. It's been fun to see people interacting, uh, interacting with us, and some of them are listeners. I think some of them aren't because uh, I, I I feel like some people like I, I I wish I had a better idea which of them were actually listeners versus just people interacting with yeah. you know basically our our community.
0: And the thing is I. I and um, how would you define a listener as well because mm-hmm. I still I'm I'm on a I went on a bit of a podcast binge a few weeks back and listened to quite a few of the podcasts I sort of subscribed to mm-hmm. but then I stopped and I like I, I'd had enough of podcasts and I've just been <laughs> listening to uh, music when I've been walking the dog you know and it's mm-hmm. so I um, when I go back to listening to podcasts I probably will not pick up all the episodes mm-hmm. I missed you just pick up uh,
1: wherever they're at. So now.
0: I, yeah, I'll just dip in and dip out, and mm-hmm. I, so I might be a listener, but it doesn't necessarily mean I listen to every single mm-hmm. episode they put out there. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so even if someone's just familiar with our podcast, it's nice for them to, you know, they might be uh, following us on Twitter and mm-hmm. speaking to us there. It doesn't yeah. necessarily mean they're going to listen to every episode.
1: Yeah, exactly. So it's it's pretty cool to see that that community is there beyond just what i imagine are our listeners because sometimes it feels very one way like we're just broadcasting this stuff out it's really nice I, I like i love it when we get stuff back whether it be through voicemails which don't happen very often but more often than not it seems to be on twitter where people will will message us and so i i, I like seeing how that's been growing over the last couple of years as we've been yeah. doing this
0: yeah we ought to get some more guests on the show actually because we, we keep talking about it and never get around to it yeah i literally <laughs> Just just before we recorded the Star Wars show, I actually um, pocket dialed my friend. Um, you know, when it's weird like when you realize your phone's ringing. You look yeah. at it, it's like my phone's ringing. And then <laughs> Rich answered, and I was like, oh, hey, Rich. Uh, <laughs> and he's a super Star Wars fan, so I, he came to see Rogue One with me. Um, mm-hmm. He'd love to talk about I said we're just about to start recording our Rogue One episode of the podcast you could have been on and he he said he'd, he'd loved to have done it but you know he doesn't have a microphone and yeah. all, the, all the gear set up but uh, yeah we should get some more people on just cool. to just have a just to have a wag with them really yeah
1: um so projects uh, one of the one of the projects that got released at SymphonyCon like soft launched was uh, just because we're talking about projects uh the the private packageist solution from Jordi and Nails did oh, you see yeah. that yeah
0: i did yeah well, it's, it's just packages.com, right?
1: Yep, and I, I had uh, I, I got a couple of the stickers that they were handing out. That They didn't have a website yet or anything at that point, or they hadn't launched the website. Uh, but I know that's that's something that is close to what you were looking at, in a, in a sense, at one point trying to build. Uh, but that's something yeah. that's out, that's new. It would be interesting to, to get some feedback on anybody who's actually tried it or considered using it. Um, I don't have any need to do that right now. Um, but... It would be cool to see what what other people think of it.
0: Yeah, well, it'd be cool for them to get some revenue coming in to mm-hmm. help support as well, because I, I don't know how Torrent's doing, but like I think Torrent will probably be deprecated of effectively now. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. Cool. So yeah, it's look, It looked pretty cool. Uh, hopefully it'll go down well. Mm-hmm. I think a few people on Reddit were moaning about the pricing. It <laughs> it, it, it definitely aimed at the more enterprise-y. Yeah. Uh, uh, and it's... Yeah, I, I think, what was it, $50 a month was the cheapest. Yep. Um, and I think it's probably, I mean, it depends on where you are, but you've probably got to be thinking, you know, if you've got maybe three devs on your team, it's probably cost-effective at that point. If it's mm. just like you on your own, $50 is quite a, a hit yeah. to take. Uh, yeah. But assuming you're working on something that's, you know, a startup, if you're working on something that's making you 50000 a month or something, then mm. you can afford yeah. that $50, bucks, can not you?
1: But, yeah. Yeah, I've been, I've been thinking a lot about pricing and hosting. And, you know, a lot of this comes from, you know, recent experiences with Heroku and looking at platform at and Sensio Cloud and Magento Enterprise Cloud and these different platform as a service things where, you know, I, I look at how I'm using Envoyer and Forge. And what I really want is something closer to like Heroku or Sensio Cloud or something where it's one app one place you push it up everything works mm. um, but closer to the pricing of like Digitalocean uh, like like for digitalocean is pretty nice because I can I can host you know many applications on one five dollar ten dollar a month digitalocean app or one di- uh, digital digitalocean droplet um, but I, I don't know if there are any um, anything that's closer to like Heroku or platform SH that does that for that price point it seems like the price point for heroku and and these other platform as a service providers are more more aimed at like money making ventures yeah. uh, which which is kind of a disappointment to me because I know that the resources aren 't that big aren 't that great the resources required because you can do a lot with a five hundred and twelve megabytes of RAM and a twenty gigabyte hard drive for five dollars a month. Like, yeah. I, I wish I could just point someone at that and say, manage it, <laughs> um, which Forge does a really good job of that, but you still have to, you know, there's still an OS there, there's still maintenance, there's still all of the other stuff. So I don't know. Like I, I think about, I, prob- I probably have 50 different sites and applications that I manage that are, aren't money-making necessarily, but they don't cost a lot to me. So like maybe 30 or $40 a month total in hosting for dozens of sites, dozens of apps. Yeah. I don't know. Have you seen anything along those lines that would be a really good price point for hobby applications? Uh,
0: no, I don't think so. I mean, no, just mm. hosting it yourself is, like you say, the uh, yeah. Mm. Um, I mean, I, I saw an interesting article. Um, let me see if I can just dig it up. You know, um, obviously the, the the serverless craze at the minute. Yeah. I, Someone wrote a little write-up about hosting costs f- <coughs> for Lambda. I'm just this is what I'm typing in Google <laughs> uh, API, maybe. Mm, come on, no, I'm not seeing anything. Hmm. Uh, yep. Yeah, how much does it cost to run a serverless API on AWS? So. Uh, This is a blog, an article by a chap called Eric Hammond. He's like, uh, I think he's certified AWS type guru type thing. He writes Mm -hmm. a lot about AWS. Um, And he he built a little API service called timercheck.io. I think it literally is a timer. So you'd push to a sort of a unique ID. Mm -hmm. And then from then on, you'd be able to get and find out the time since mm-hmm. you pushed. Hmm. Um so he says serving 2.1 million API requests for $11. So this is his uh, running costs for a month's of mm-hmm. deploying a, this API to Now get the problem is get this. Um he knows what he's doing, so putting these together is probably quite easy for him, but it runs through API gateway Lambda, DynamoDB, Route 53, CloudFront, SNS, CloudWatch logs, CloudWatch metrics, CloudTrail, S3, oh, uh, network data, I suppose this is what it's been charged for, network data transfer and CloudWatch alarms.
1: Hmm.
0: So, uh, and that came to $11. Obviously, you'd need to set all that up, but it's a bit different from Cl- uh, Heroku. But,
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know, I mean, Amazon are probably going to start moving towards a few more of these things. Have you seen LightSail?
1: Yeah, yeah, I saw some stuff with Lightsail, but Lightsail is basically like persistent EC2 instances, right? Or is? Or am I yeah, misunderstanding.
0: But, uh, but it's a fixed price EC2 instance, mm-hmm. so they're trying to eat into DigitalOcean. They're trying right. to say, you know, and and it's a case of making make me server rather than. Mm-hmm. The, the current way of ec2 is like you're not making a server you're making an ec2 instance in the cloud and you've got to choose yeah. this and, and do you know it's a it's aimed at that Pet. light sale is aimed at the click a button to create a server rather than the mm-hmm. orchestrating your cloud infrastructure yeah you know so maybe i mean elastic beanstalk i've not looked at that in ages but maybe that could be closer and i don't know i don't know what the pricing is like
1: yeah yeah, it's, so I was I was having a discussion on Twitter the other night with uh, I think it was Joe Ferguson and um Joe Clarmont about um different hosting providers and why would uh, I don't remember who started it maybe it was Jonathan Inc. I know there was like by the end there were like five people. I think um, Adam was on it as well. Um they were basically we were talking about what under what circumstances and why would you use uh, platform as a service versus hosting your own. And I think the original discussion started with why? Why is anybody in 2016 still using shared hosting when you can have a VPS for super cheap and it's all your own? Um, and this, so there was a it was inter- interesting discussion all the way from security down to um, cost and everything. And you know there was a lot of people who are excited about Forge and Envoyer, which you know I'm I'm a heavy user of both, and I think that that it's a huge step up over what I was doing on my own a couple of years ago. Um, but at the same time, you know, it's I've, I've shifted my configuration management from um, external puppet configs or, or whatever I was doing before to letting Forge manage it, which is great, except that now I have Forge instances that I've created. I think I have like five or six that I've created over the last two years. All of them have various, varying differences of Ubuntu installed. Some of them have different Forge configs than what is current. So, like, whatever, if you create a new Forge uh, site now or Forge host now, the configs are going to be different than they were before. So sometimes there's inconsistencies there, Um, and you know, as far as being able to rebuild that, uh, like, if I want to take down one of the servers that has five apps on it, I'd have to manually install those five apps again with the correct configuration going through the UI. uh, That I mentioned that and. Taylor said, yeah, well, you know, server should be uh, basically the whole pets versus cattle thing, right? Like you should be able to turn off a server and spin up a new one and you should be good to go, which, which is fine unless you're using Forge's multiple apps per server thing and the configuration is all in Forge. So like I, there is no easy way to say... Like, you don't own that configuration. Yeah, you that. don't own the configuration, so there's no easy migration short of manually doing these steps by hand and hoping you didn't forget something. Whereas it would be great if I could say, "Here's a DigitalOcean droplet, you know, from from two years ago. Clone this to this new digital or create a new DigitalOcean droplet and clone it over there and move all the config over. Mm-hmm. Um, that would be great. If that was there, that would, I think that would solve a lot of the, the, the kind of issues that I'm realizing I have with that sort of management style. Um, just because it, I do feel like I'm locked into it now. Um, even though they're managed servers, that hopefully Forge is keeping secure and whatnot. It's still my responsibility. It's still, you know, if 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 Forge if the Forge's core um, software changes such that it it starts to expect the new style configurations in certain places, it breaks my older systems. And this has happened like three or four times now, where the uh, like I think especially with like the Let's Encrypt stuff. The SSL uh, will will automatically update, and the process of doing that it, it puts files in certain places where it expects things to be read from. And my my config from two years ago doesn't know about that, so then all of a sudden one of my sites is down, and it's like, well, <laughs> it's 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 not as tra- it's not as transparent and easy to use. It's, it's not as, as idiomatic not. as it seems. Yeah,
0: yeah, now I get that. It's um. still amazing.
1: It's still amazing. It's made a huge difference to my life, but um it's still not not exactly what i think i want if that makes yeah. sense
0: well i mean what's interesting about the the platforms as a service is heroku is the like the trail in that isn't it and mm-hmm. it started out with rails and and it started out for me that's because ruby was notoriously difficult to host you know mm-hmm. i don't know if, i don't remember the last time you set up a production rails app but it was like ugh, i hated it
1: <laughs> I, mean, I had a couple of redmine installs that every time i did it it was like three days yeah, e- yeah. well
0: easy and things that go on all the time i think mm-hmm. last time i mean people are using like a uh, unicorn and stuff like that and i don't know they've got other names like panther or something i don't know <laughs> yeah i mean but last time i did it was with passenger i think and, and i don't know it just seemed it was always a nightmare right it was for me anyway compared to especially coming from the php uh, I mean, the classic thing is remember uh, um, Zed Shaw's "Rails is a Ghetto." No, um, I mean it's a really old post. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know if it. But it I bet it might not even still be available. Let me have a look.
1: It looks like it is.
0: Yeah, so there's a there's a great quote in that. Um, so this, I mean, this starts out. This is a long. Time ago, and things are much better mm-hmm. now. Ah, um, oh, let me see if I can find it. Yeah, so this is DHH saying this. Uh, this is in two thousand and seven. Uh, DHS DHA said before fast thread, we had around four hundred restarts per day. Um, so that's restarting the server 400 times to deal with um, I assume probably memory leaks mm. uh, and such uh, and that sort of like stuck with me as my impression of you know hosting rails apps yeah I mean, uh, that was ages ago but, but that's the why the reason why Heroku like was so popular because devs could just stick it on Heroku literally mm-hmm. whereas we've as PHP devs we've probably had a much easier time of that kind of thing yeah um, i I just going back to, uh, you mentioned shared hosting. I think one of the things that's totally overlooked, shared hosting, you'll always get email serving service with it. Yep. You know, like if you want to stick your website, you get a domain name, you want to stick your website up on shared hosting, not only do you get your hosting, web hosting, but you're also going to get email. You point your MX DNS records at their mail yep. servers. All of a sudden, you've got webmail. you've got IMAP, Pop three, um, mm. totally overlooked now. I mean, I know you've got Google Apps and stuff, but even that's not free. Is it free still? Do you still have free Google no,
1: Apps? No, you can't get Google Apps for free anymore.
0: Yeah, and even um, and it's not expensive, but it's still it's like another <laughs> thing you've got to configure and organize. Like a lot of these shared hosting places, you can buy your domain right there. Yeah, and two clicks later, you've got your shared hosting and your email all configured mm. and DNS all configured. Uh, so yeah, there's no one no, else still
1: use it. It's a huge deal. And that that was one of the things that kept me on shared hosting as long as it did, because I didn't want to have to manage a mail server on my own. Um, I eventually moved yes. to virtual min. I, I created a EC2 instance and then a, I think it was a Rackspace cloud server. Uh, both of them had virtual min running on them. And yeah, doing mail was just a pain. Um, and, and it always has been for me because I've, I've never liked running mail servers. Um yeah, so that that is something that that I've looked for from time to time, and there's nothing even remotely close to that shared hosting ability for mail. Yeah. Um, you know, it's usually five dollars a person or five dollars an email address. There's usually some in, you know non reasonable quota on disk storage, and it's like too expensive and just not 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 fun to use. So okay. yeah, that, oh, yeah I think I'm, you're right.
0: I mentioned the charity work I do and I mean that's one of the things I'm sort of tasked with at the minute is getting email hosting set up it's still been run on some local person who we don't want to deal with anymore's email hosting on his reseller account somewhere Mm -hmm. Um, and Google apps to be fair to them uh, do, do free Google apps for non-profits and charities but you've got to fill out these weird forms like like we've got to be registered with this certain program, and I, I don't get why we're a registered charity in the UK. Like we have a, you know, look, you can see right here we are a registered charity in the UK. I don't know why we have yeah. to go and register with this further third party, and mm. because I'm not officially, like my name's not on any of the documentation because I'm just helping out. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna have to. I think we're gonna have to get my mum to fill out this form for me. <laughs> because she is, she's one of the, she's maybe the chairperson or something. Yeah. and 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 I'm just like I say, with shared hosting, this was would have been taken care of, but no. So I'm hosting mm. the WordPress site on one of my servers, but I'm gonna have to find email hosting somewhere. Mm. And it's got the thing is, it's got to be good as well because people don't want to get spam. They don't. Right. Want, you don't want open relays. You don't want any security problems. Yeah. Uh, People want to use their favorite email client. They would want to use webmail.
1: Uh, so, yeah. Um, so there was one other um, thing that I wanted to to talk about. I think we're getting close to our, our time. Um, the uh, There's a project called Laravel Shift. Have you seen that?
0: Yeah, it looks really interesting. It looks amazing.
1: It looks amazing. One of the, the projects that I worked on a while back uh, was with Jonathan Renink and um, I'm still on their Slack channel. I'm still chiming in every once in a while, but I'm not actively working on that project Mm. anymore. But I saw uh, one of the messages into Slack say, there was a lot of work on this PR and I clicked on it and it looked beautiful. It basically um, had a git commit, it wasn't, it was probably like eight commits to try and migrate Laravel from whatever version it had before to Laravel 5.3, I think that's the most recent stable. Um, and it was tons of, of mentions and notices on different things. Um, there was some of the work that it was able to do on its own, like convert everything to PSR2. Um, so yeah, it looks it looks amazing. So I, I checked that out, and it's uh, it's by uh, Sean kutz And um, yeah, they it sounds like the the Appleton team, the project that is building um, software called Roll Call. Um, they've done it twice now. This is the second time they've used it, and it looks like it's just amazing.
0: Mm.
1: Yeah, really clever, really really great mm. idea. I love it. Yeah, so I think I think we're at the end of our time here.
0: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, yeah, I'm starting to get a bit of so I won't say i sore throat, but I'm feeling dry. I've drunk all my water, so yeah, it's probably a good time to uh, call cool. it quits.
1: All right. Well, I guess we'll be back next year. Yeah. Enjoy the holidays. Yeah. You Thanks, too, Bo. Call this one a wrap. you've been listening to that podcast with Bo and dave you can find Bo on twitter and google plus at Bo simonson and dave on twitter at dave development you can subscribe to this podcast and review it on itunes if you'd like to review us but don't feel like we've earned five stars email us so that we can talk about your issues you can also subscribe to this podcast with rss from our website thatpodcast.io from our website you can also sign up for our newsletter to get super secret extra content from Bo and dave sent directly to your inbox like the music you can thank grillo for allowing us to sample the track dust kingdom for our intro and outro you can find dust kingdom and other tracks by grillo at grillo.bandcamp.com spelled g-r-i-l-l-o